0: Love Talk Radio. There you go. There's our live studio audience here in our plush Midtown Manhattan offices. We got a desk. Our a desk. We got desks as well. <laughs> but first and foremost, before I tell you about the desks, I have to tell you about the guest, Denny Griffin. <laughs> Denny's uh, Denny's background is so intriguing. I just love to have him as a guest. He's from upstate New York, Rome, the Rome area, I believe, as well as his his family. And he was for the longest time an investigator. I put I put on the post on the website that then he went from he he was um, a mob hunter to a mob author to a mob agent. And we'll explain that a little later because I still that kills me, that whole deal. But uh, the transformation, I mean, you know, Denny spent a lot of it. And thank you for your service, by the way. Denny, you've done the country a great service in all your years of crime fighting and even even writing books. And this is America, and and, uh, so... We've got to have a gig, too, and yours is informing people about what went down for all those years. And if you can do that and turn a few bucks, you've got a great radio show, great website. If you search for Denny uh, using the word Crime Wire, which is just phenomenal because there's like 186 million results when you search for that phrase, Crime Wire, even if you search as two words. Fantastic stuff you're doing, Denny, and, uh, and welcome to the show. Glad to have you again.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Rob. It's a pleasure to be back with you. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, sure thing. So so let's start out. I always try to do a little, little, you know, past, present, and future. So let's start out a little bit. Tell tell me, elaborate a little more, better than I did, I would assume, on um, on your background.
1: Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Rome, New York, and lived here except for uh, four years in the Navy back in the 60s. I lived uh, lived in Rome and the surrounding areas all my life until 1994. At that point, I retired from the state um, as an investigator for the Department of Health. And uh my wife had come down with a medical condition that she couldn't tolerate cold. So we moved to Las Vegas for the dry uh and warmer uh, climate. And um uh, we still because the rest of the family's back here, kids and grandkids and so forth, and we're fortunate enough we can come back here for the summers. So we have sure. a uh, a place we stay during the summer in Verona about a Oh, maybe a mile, a mile and a half from the Turning Stone Casino. Not that we go to the uh, Turning yes. Stone, but we're we're in the we're in the area, so uh, yes. it's working out. You know, knock on wood, very well. So you're what we call a snowbird, but you don't go to Florida, you go to Vegas. Correct. Uh, they, <laughs> you know, uh, part of her condition, I don't Vegas. Told, it was the humidity. So, we need it somewhere to draw oh, a
0: combination really that's interesting yeah i have I've heard of this allergy to the cold in fact, I have a relative, a niece of mine has some sort of allergy to the cold. She has to actually take benadryl when she wants to go out in the cold.
1: It's a weird Is that right? yeah that that can be boy, I'll tell you, you, get that stuff, and i those of us who don't have that type of ailment i i don't think can appreciate what it's like. you know no that, you
0: can't that, absolutely that's true, no. And I, and I don't think it's something that ever goes away either. It's something you have it, you have it for life kind of a deal.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's with her. This is a lifetime
0: thing. So originally from Rome, and then uh, you were an investigator. You also worked, did you mention you also worked for New York State? Uh,
1: yeah, I retired Rome, from right? New York State. I started yeah. out, uh, well, actually, I started out as a private investigator with Pinkerton okay. working undercover back in the 70s. <laughs> then I went with. Uh, I went with Madison County as a child support investigator, and then I went across the street from, uh, from child support to the sheriff's department, and I worked for the sheriff's department for about, uh, let's see, eight years, I guess. And while I was working there, I uh, moonlighted as a patrolman in Casanova, Canastota, and Chittenango. So uh, I was working f- for four agencies at the same time. And then uh, I caught a break, and I passed the right civil service test, and get hired as a senior investigator for New York State, investigating basically healthcare frauds involving clinical laboratories. And um, I was there. I ended up getting a promotion to director of investigations for the Wadsworth Center for Laboratories and Research, and that's what I retired as in '94.
0: Did you take a break? Did you go right into writing books? What happened after that? You you, you move right well, on, or
1: the last uh, we had, we moved out to Vegas in December of ninety four. I had retired in May, and the uh, one of the the last case I did it was very interesting. Was the investigation of the Anandaga County Medical Examiner's Office, and mm-hmm. at, the, at the time was Doctor Eric Mitchell was the uh, was the ME, and it was I never investigated a. A medical examiner before, and it was a very bizarre case regarding uh, keeping bodies. It was supposed to have been cremated and selling, really? not selling, taking uh, tissue from the from the dead without permission from the next of kin, and these type of things. Oh thing. my God! So um, uh, one of the uh, assistant pathologists to Mitchell said he was going to write a manuscript about the uh, about working at the Onondaga County Morgue and. Uh, and he did, and he sent me a copy of it. I think in November of uh, '94, and I read it, and it, you know, he he went strictly for an entertainment value, and uh, there was a lot of things in the ma- in his manuscript that, that you know, it didn't tell the story of what really happened. One afternoon, I was watching a doubleheader football game, working on a 12-pack, and by the by the second game of the doubleheader, I said, I'm going to write a book. So I got out an old well, I was electric uh typewriter, but it was, you know, peck away and I never took typing, so I was one finger at a time. I had no idea how uh, yeah, to un- form Hunting <laughs> exactly. And I'm yeah, still unpack. a one finger <laughs> typist. I got twelve books out or eleven books out and I'm still a one finger typist. But I, I wrote um I wrote the first chapter of the Morgue, a book I titled The Morgue. It was gonna be a fiction. I reset it uh the location to Utica instead of Syracuse and okay. um at the end, I was down to my last beer. I had about a half a can left, and I, I was done with what I thought was the first chapter, and I was proud of myself. And I, You know, I called my wife out, and I said, look what I did, look what I did. And I had these, I don't know, 10 or 15 sheets of paper laying on the table. She came out, and in my excitement, I knocked the beer over. And oh, no. I was, uh, so I was i was despondent. I, let me tell you, and I said, that's it. God sent me a message. I am not to write. So... I went, I went salting into the other room. Well God bless her. She uh she salvaged the papers, used a blow dryer and about three days later she said, Here, I thought you might want these so I ended up getting the I ended up completing the morgue and uh oh, I, I, I had to self publish it 'cause I didn't know what the writing business was like. I didn't realize right. I thought you just wrote a manuscript and then somebody immediately took it, gave you a huge advance. Right. You know? They were waiting at the front door knocking and say, Hey, we want to publish that <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, watch here. out, watch out, uh, Tom Clancy. Denny Griffin's on his way. You know. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> eyed and bushy-tailed half. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, I got all my say. battle scars now. going through the learning <laughs> process of what writing oh, and, uh, the, bis- yeah, the business is all about. It's not just writing stories or a manuscript. There's a lot to it, and yeah. I I think any any new author. I would hope doesn't make the mistakes I did and not research the oh. business before they start because you can be in for a lot of headaches and uh, sure. and brother. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've talked about that sometimes. Yeah, sure it is. It, it's a rough road, and like you say, if you anything researched is half as hard as if you just get in jump into it two feet first. Because I, I understand and respect the people that just jump in two feet first, but um, you know. We've talked in the past about how anything, no matter what you do, you have to self-promote. You have to do it. There's a business side to this whole thing, and you have to know that. You have to know that. Um, and if you don't, and you kind of, again, you kind of think you're going to do it. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If it was me, Denny, and I was on my 12th beer, I wouldn't have been creative yet. i got to get to the 15, 15 for that. <laughs> <laughs> gotta be on fourteen or fifth. That's when I get massively creative, right there. Hey, oh yeah, like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then on uh, the sixteenth, I'm asleep. So <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, creative, super short for like ten
0: minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah, nothing worse than spilling the last half of beer. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, that's bad. That's really bad. So, so, so <laughs> that's a great story, though. But, but you're right. You know what? You get into it. You're young and you're, you're just energetic, and you just want to get that first chapter out. And which, by the way, also as you would attest to, is the, f- the easiest chapter. <laughs> the first chapter, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get to the next to the last chapter, you're like, "Oh,
1: what did I do here? Yeah. <laughs> what did I commit to?
0: <laughs>
1: you know, what I found that helped me out. Like, it didn't help me with a morgue because I I was new in Vegas and I didn't really, yeah. you know, know anybody yet or anything. But by the time and I, I that that I wanted to tell a story, so I had no. Idea sure. of a writing career, a second career as a as a writer. Nice. So I, I just wanted to get that book out and tell what happened because it was so bizarre. I remember that one of the afternoon shows—I don't know—I forget the name, Inside Edition or something like like that—that that was on at yeah. the time because there was quite a few articles about the morgue investigation in the, in the Syracuse Post Standard, and somebody. Uh, One of these programs got wind of that and they contacted the health department and wanted to know if they could do an interview and possibly a story, a show on on the Mitchell, on the Morgue investigation. And after my boss talked to them and told them some of the stuff that happened, they said it was too bizarre for them to take. Really? So, yeah, after I wrote the book and finally got it published, um, I did one book. I finally got a book signing at an independent bookstore in Rome. It was Mm -mm. a. A lady by the name of Thorin ran it. She was uh, from Iceland, and God bless her for doing this. She she liked the book. She read it, and she she had me come in for a book signing, and, and um, she did a lot of advertisement and stuff more than luck than I ever had with the with the chain one of the chain stores. And yeah, uh, I think sure. I, yeah, oh they're top Yeah, fifty books or something. I mean, just tremendous. You know, wow. Um, first time author, of course. I I was local, which obviously was a selling point. But uh, that helpful, yeah. And I had no writing uh, as far as, far as the, uh, the the technical piece, the part of writing grammar and punctuation. I I had none of that. I knew none of that. All I'd ever written was reports or fill in the blank stuff you know with the various departments and people liked the story and as incredible as it seemed to me. Uh, they, they nobody applauded me as being the best pure writer they'd ever seen, but they they thought the story was good, although it obviously could never happen. You know, I had a vivid imagination. <laughs> right. I said, hey, you know, to myself, believe what you want. But uh, I, I got quite a bit of positive feedback, so I ended up, you know, I said, hey, this was kind of fun. Now that, you know, once I got through it all, and I said, I'm going to take another shot at it. So I've been writing ever since. But I I never intended, you know, start a right. second career in writing. But
0: yeah. just right. the way, way it's work out. Said, well, this is what I'm going to do. That's good. So, and, um, and Eva, you know, this is the thing. that Some of the best things in life don't you don't sit down and and I tell people all the time with business plans for businesses like if you can really plan your business 3 years out there's a problem mm-hmm. because you don't know what technology's coming a month out let alone 3 years out you're going to sit oh, there and tell right. me you got a plan that's a 3 year plan I don't buy
1: it <laughs> 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 I don't buy that for a millisecond <laughs> what helped me after that when I decided to to stay in the business for a while was I started joining writers groups and uh-huh. Talking to all these people that had been there and done that. I mean, it was right. you know the stuff I learned to avoid some of the traps and some of the scams by these agents sure. and book doctors yep. and, all this. and 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 uh, I forget. Was back initially ninety five or ninety six, some of the uh, the price I was paying it was like you know, twenty dollars a year or something for, for these things. I, I belonged to three, I think was the max, and um, what I did was. They helped me so much by learning from the from the experienced writers, not necessarily great success. I mean, I'm not talking right. million sellers or New York Times stuff. Right, but the sure. people and learning that had learned the business and they had been scammed and they had, you know, yep. got caught up in, uh, you know, in certain things about the importance of signings and chain stores. I mean, well, my first thought was, boy, that I, I, was great doing that signing of Thorns, and I thought. I read, i you know I said, Holy mackerel, now, I had a self published books, so I had to order my own books and stuff to, when I had any event. Right. and I finally got uh, you know my thing I said, if I can only get my rear end in a Barnes and Noble or a borders, I said ah. I'll go fifty books at her place i' will sell two or three hundred you and when i- <laughs> i when I went to a chain store then and asked you know uh, well, I first thought they'd fall over me. All over me, you know, when can you be here? <laughs> <laughs> he said, Well, uh, let's <laughs> you all my life. <laughs> yeah, right. We, we've been waiting for you. And I showed him the book. He said, Well, this book is self published. And I said, Yeah. Well, we only do self published, uh, you know, like twice a year. All these self published, and the way she said self published was kind of like she was talking about somebody with a disease, you know. Yeah. The way we handle self published. Oh, how dare yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, how dare you darken my doorstep. And um you have to bring your own books and then we split 60/40 and I'm thinking holy crap, you know, by the time I pay the books and pay the shipping, if you're taking 40%, <laughs> you're losing
0: uh, money.
1: <laughs> yeah, losing money on it. So, and but I did, I went along with it uh, although I was crushed when I left that bookstore because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And yeah. uh we did the signing, and there were six of us there. There was not a single poster or advertisement up in the store. Absolutely nothing. Oh, no. People would come by our table. They put all of us together at a table, and oh. people would kind of walk by and look out of the corner of their eye, like, are these guys collecting for a, some kind of a, a fundraiser? <laughs> why Why, are, why are and We gave it with, the office. Leave us alone. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was awful. I sold one book, and that was somebody oh, found no. There were six of us. You know the, the the lady didn't know who to buy from. She she felt she should buy a Jeez. book from somebody, so oh. she kind of got it down to uh, that my book, the Morgan, and other were somewhat internet. I think it was the fact I had a skull on my cover I had a little <laughs> intrigue. it. so she ended up buying That's my book, <laughs> and it was you know kind of almost as a favor. And uh, I walked out of there, and I said, "Holy mackerel!" I, you know all my ideas about uh, getting my tale in a chain yeah. store, you know, Barnes & Noble or right. the Borders, and, and finding my way to, to riches and fame was sure way wow. off base, my goodness.
0: A buyer of gold and silver coins and jewelry is celebrating three years of paying the highest cash payouts around for unwanted gold and silver coins and jewelry. Don't settle for low pawn shop prices and don't take your items to a fly-by-night hotel event. Come and visit our showroom and get paid the highest cash payouts for your unwanted gold and silver coins and jewelry. Looking for great fun? Book a free karaoke gold party today with a buyer of gold and silver coins and jewelry. Located at 1121 Glenwood Ave, Oneida, next to Cash for Cans Bottle return. You there, Danny? <laughs> I'm here. Wow, that was weird. I don't know what happened. My uh, Yeah, my it was keyboard. bizarre. And I was on a roll, too.
1: <laughs> I know. You were kicking ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, it's one of those work so this is all online and computer and you know all technical difficulties are galore beautiful oh absolutely i have i have no idea of what i was saying i just went into talking about internet security and a couple other things then i played some old skits that we have so it f- killed some time there i think what happened was my my studio uh on my uh on my machine I, it for for whatever reason it it like disconnected me but it was still showing me on the screen and every time uh, you called in, we could hear you I was joking saying don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> don't say anything, daddy. Don't say you really had 20 beers when it was you said 12. Don't say it was really 20 cuz we're listening. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh lord.
0: The wonders uh, of modern technology right here at our hands. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> where were you now? So where the heck were we? Lord. So you so you started right. You write about what you know too, and that's what you've been doing, and that's what's been leading you down the right path. Because you write about what you know. You took a lot of great advice in the beginning because you hook up with people. And I have a website, authors.cybervillage.com, and I highly, I highly uh, recommend that you go get cozy with other people who who've been writing for a long time. Like Danny says, you, you want to surround yourself with people who who know the deal. You will get scammed. You know how you know how people, Denny, you know how online security works. People get scammed all the time. I get scammed still, and I've been there and done that a thousand times. So, you know, in the business world, you're going to get scammed, and don't think you're not in the business world because you're an author. We're telling you. Absolutely,
1: you and it's not a benign business. I thought it was, but it's not. Right. There's people Absolutely. out there looking to pick your bones clean if they can. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: Yep, they will. Yep, they will pick your bones clean. So.
1: You know, Rob. One thing I, I wanted to mention, uh, and this is just a, a personal thing, my personal opinion, but with writers' groups, you know, over the years, uh, I I went from from being the the greenhorn, the new guy on the block, yeah. uh, you know, trying to learn and sopping up everything like a sponge that I could about the writing business, to a guy. Then all of a sudden, uh, I was. The experienced guy or one of the experienced people, sure. and um, uh, somebody asked me. They said, "Well, you know, they, they said you're you're getting pretty well established now. How come you still belong to these uh, writers groups and stuff?" I said, "You know, I said, yeah. yeah, I said I'm not learning as much now, obviously, as I did to begin with. I said, right. but I, maybe I can help somebody else. I said, had right. those people not been there for me, right, and shared their experiences with me, I, yeah. you know." Um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be established or on my way to becoming established, and I feel I I need to give something back. So I I uh, you know I I learned everything I could and got the benefits, and then I wasn't comfortable with saying okay, I've gotten everything I can out of you, so now I'm I'll see you later. Uh, I, I felt that I should you know stay around and share my experiences with others, and maybe I I could do what other people have done for me. And, uh, and and save people some, uh, you know, some time and some pain.
0: And and just like in the business world, that's called paying it forward. And in life, you're paying okay. it forward if, if you if you were lucky enough to people say, look, if I was lucky enough to have some people help me out, I'm going to pay it forward, and I'm going to help the guy out who was in my situation ten years ago. And that's what it is. And some people call it mentoring. Other people call it paying it forward, and that's because if you, like I say. You 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 took you took advantage of something that was available and people helped you. Now you're taking the experience you took to them and you're and you're passing it down to another generation. And that's and that's exactly what people have to find is somebody like you who's gonna who's willing to take some time and basically donate it back into the till. That's what you're doing. That's a great thing.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot. Of, I'm t- pleased to say that there are a lot of people who think that way, and, and which is what keeps us all going, I guess.
0: Yeah. It is. It keeps the ball rolling, and that's what it is. And I'll be be—I'll be honest with you, not too long ago in the business world, I had somebody who kind of took me on as a, a business mentor, and uh, they've helped me do a lot and come a long way. And, and, and guess what I'm going to do when I do get to that level, which I know I will. It's just a matter of time. But in the business world, when it comes right down to it, you look back and you say, same thing, you say the same thing. I, I had a lot of help, and here I am now. And now that I have the resources to help people, I'm going to once again I'm going to pay it forward down down the road and um, so that's a wonderful thing so let's talk a little bit more about mobsters and the mob world
1: I've run into well several guys now did did you ever hear of Henry Hill they they based uh, Goodfellas the movie Goodfellas on Henry
0: yes yep
1: okay well I've gotten to know him I I never wrote a book with him but I I, through promotional things and various events I met him and and do some things with him on occasion. And uh, through my first organized crime book, it was basically a history book, I guess, of right. um of the Tony Spilatro era in Vegas. Now if you All ever right. saw the movie Casino, you know, Spilatro yeah. was the uh character was Joe Pesci's character played a role based on Spilatro. Right. And um one of the um, one of the other people who was in the movie, the actor Frank Vincent mm-hmm. played the role of Frankie. He was okay. like Tony's Spalatro, Pesci's right hand guy. Right. And uh, the real character was a guy named Frank a mm-hmm. uh, Chicago outfit guy uh, who moved to Vegas to to be with Tony Spilatro and and ran a crew of uh, formed and ran a crew of uh, robbers, burglars. Personists and killers called the Hole in the Wall Gang, and um, Frank and Tony had a falling out in 1982. Uh, Tony put out, a, got permission from Chicago to have Frank killed, and um, Frank ended up after the FBI approached him and, and played some audio recordings of of the contract being authorized. Frank ended up uh, turning and becoming a government witness. And uh, when uh, Pelleggi and Scorsese were doing the movie, the casino movie, they were looking for a, a technical consultant. Mm-hmm. And um, they got a hold of Frank through the FBI, and uh, Frank ended up not only as a consultant, but in the, um, the later part of the movie when the, uh, the Midwest Godfathers have all been indicted for skimming from the Las Vegas casinos. hmm and they decide they're going to have several potential witnesses killed. Well, in each yeah. of the murder scenes, Frank plays the hitman, or one of the hitmen. So he ended up being in the movie. Uh, Pileggi wrote the foreword to the book, Collada, and he said that uh, there was the first time in all his experience uh, writing crime, true crime or fiction crime, that uh, a, a real-life uh, hitman actually performed or reenacted one of the murders they did on the screen. So wow. he was quite enthused about that. But anyway, Frank and I ended up, I met Frank through, because of my book, The Battle for Las Vegas, the history piece, I was looking to talk to uh, to people who had, you know, from the criminal side. I could find all kinds of reporters and cops and FBI agents. Mm-hmm. And uh, it happened, one of the FBI agents who had been Frank Collada's debriefer when, when Frank flipped, agreed to put me in touch with Frank, and after some back and forth, we agreed to co-author his biography. So um, that was my start through through Frank's biography, Colada. I got, uh, well, two summers ago now, I got a an email from somebody I didn't know, and uh, they wanted to know if I'd be interested in doing a book about the Gambino crime family. That was the family that John Gotti the so-called Aye. Teflon Don, headed for a while. Aye. And um, it turned out that this was another former mobster from uh, an associate of the Gambinos, <clears throat> and he had done some Google uh, research, <laughs> and he found my name connected with Frank Lotta, who had been in witness protection. Well, this individual had, was in witness protection also, and he oh. felt that if, if I can use the term made my bones, as the mobsters would say, I made my bones as a mob writer because I had written a book with Frank Collada and Frank was still alive. So Mm. apparently I hadn't ranted him out or told any people who might want to cause him harm, um, you know, where he might be located and so forth. So this fellow, his name is Andrew DiDonato, and he wanted to know if I would co-author his book. So in Uh. this January, Surviving the Mob came out, and it's... uh, It's the story of his exploits with the Gambinos, but you know, he worked with people from the Colombo family, the Lucchese family. In fact, the Lucchese, near the end of Andrew's uh, crime career, uh, they and his own crew wanted to kill him, and that was one of the reasons he ended up flipping and becoming a government witness. So I have learned an awful lot, and now through Andrew and Frank, I've met other former robsters, and we uh, we even have a, not we, it's my company, it's, it's opened up a business called Bear Media Consultants, hmm. and what I do is if, uh, if somebody's looking uh, to produce a, a crime documentary or a film perhaps or a, a series and they need a technical consultant or they want the real deal... Um, I will put them in touch with the appropriate person with the expertise to help oh, them with, it, with their project. So, that's cool. uh, and I I'm I'm not limited to to mobsters. I also have former lawmen and newspaper reporters, <laughs> true crime right. reporters, uh, right. in the mix. So I I can uh, yeah I've made a lot of contacts over the years, and I've always conducted myself appropriately. So right. uh, these people you know trust me and and. Uh, they they all make up their own minds. I'm not an agent, and I don't tell them, you got to sign this, you got to agree to right. that. But if right. I call them and I'll say, hey, look, there's a guy from such and such a network that would like to talk to you about a potential a series or a potential documentary, uh, based on my recommendation, they will talk. You know, okay. And wow. if they reach an agreement of some kind, that's fine, but I at least can make the contact and the connection, and they, they do what they want to do from that point. Yeah, that's a very,
0: very cool spin on a business right there. I think that's very cool, the way you turn the... I mean, really, though, again, like you said before, it, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you didn't have any planning involved in it, but it really, things do kind of just evolve into what they are, and it's like... It, but but, but here's the key. you got to have the, the, the mind enough to kind of see the writing on the wall and say, okay, this is where we're going next, so it's not an accident, don't get me wrong. Somebody like yourself has to be smart enough to see the writing on the wall and say you know what this is where where we're evolving this to the next step and people miss that all the time and when they don't evolve to the next step and then you know what happens businesses all the time go they don't work out because like i say you followed your passion you did what you thought you could do to to make money didn't work out that well at first but in the long run it worked out because you you did make the changes where you needed to change and and uh, long story short, it's working out for you. we got about 40 seconds left in the live feed, and then we'll pick up again with a couple more stories about that. So if anybody wants to hear Denny, the rest of his stories, come back. We'll do another probably 10 minutes after the live feed goes off, if that's okay with you, Denny. Can you stay another 10 minutes? Absolutely. Okay, great. So a- anybody who didn't, well, I guess I don't think anybody heard me. I'll have to find out when I go back and edit the show. But if you get a chance, go to a buyer of com. The guy's in my personal, professional, and even even in a network of friends and family in and, and church. And it's not just the guy who pays to get on the air. Nobody can just do that. We only have people who we would send our family members to, a buyer of goldandsilver.com. And then I think we got two, one, and then we're out. And now, uh, now we're just recording for people to download later. Okay. Yep, there we go. We're on record now. And then we get we get as long as we want. But I figured I won't take too much of your time, ten minutes. And I got to go run errands. You know how that works. I got my daughter does cheer, and it's still the, the day's never over till nine ten o'clock.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, I know they're long ones.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, so this is the kind of this is the kind of story. Like I say, I mean, I don't know if you look if you look at the, the history of businesses, you'll find. You'll find businesses that are electronic companies that literally started out as as making sneakers or just companies evolve, and it's every step of the way. You add some product line, then the product line gets a little better. Then you know you go from literally from selling a chip to selling uh, whatever, robotic arms or nanotechnology or what have you, and you start out one way. Um, but again, like I say, the business person in charge, you have to be smart enough to get, get the clues and listen to your customers and say, if you got a customer that has X and they say I'd like to have X, Y, and Z, you know you gotta you got in this day and age there's too many people ready to replace you if you don't jump on something. So um, exactly,
1: and you know let, let me tell you, talking about the the mafia, Italian American organized crime. Andrew DiNatale yeah. told me because we were I was I was asking him when we were preparing or writing the book, and I said uh, Andrew, I said. What happens? I said they're they're taking these uh, bosses to to the slammer. I said right and left, and uh, somebody's somebody's calling in here. So uh, hmm. I said um, I, I said how do they decide who's going to replace the boss? You know, if the guy's going to be right. gone for let's say let's say a couple of years or whatever. Yeah. And he said, well, he said I'll tell you what they do. He said. Think of it this way is from a business perspective. He said, if you're going to be temporarily gone from your business, he said, when you can come back from your yeah. vacation or for whatever reason you're gone, he Fine. said, you want to have your old position back. Now, if you're the boss, you want to come back as the boss. So he said, you don't put anybody in charge who's as sharp as you are.
0: <laughs> but you want to
1: charge as somebody that you can control, like from your prison cell,
0: Very chilling, while you're yeah. away. Yeah. And that
1: when you come back this individual's not going to fight you for that top job.
0: Exactly. They're going to be
1: willing to say, okay, you know, I did the best I could while you were gone. I'm not, now I'll go back to number two or whatever. Yeah. And he said, "And but of course he said, by not picking the sharpest guys to, to run the thing, he right. said they're putting people in, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're not the brightest bulbs on the block in some cases. He said they're people that, that the guy can control. Right, but they're like not necessarily that. going to stay out of trouble or, or run the business the right way. So he said, "It's uh, you know these are business decisions." He said, and hmm. in the mob, you got to remember. He said, "Yeah." He said, "You you steal money, you hold back money from scores, you don't pay your street tax, and all that." He said, "Yeah, you can get whacked for all of that stuff." He says, hmm. "But you can also get whacked for the opposite because you're too good." He right. said, and "If you're a hell of an earner and the the boss of your crew." says, you know, this guy's got a lot on the ball, and he's also ambitious. I don't mean ambitious in stealing necessarily, but ambitious to rise up the ladder. Someday he's going to want to run my crew. So guess what? He needs to be removed from the scenario now before he gets any more friends or too powerful. So you can get knocked off or whacked, as they say, for a number of reasons. And some of the reasons are not because you did anything wrong. It's because you're so good and ambitious that you pose a threat to those above you. So they say it's time to remove the threat.
0: And by and large, I think even real business works that way. Like you don't necessarily get whacked, but you, must, but you do give people, I mean, it's human nature. They see some other guy who wants to be the VP and he sees you rising up in the ranks. Guess what? He's going to do everything he can do to undermine you. He's gonna make oh, things sure. that look like it was your doing that weren't, and usually it's just like you say. The mob was really business; it was all business, really. And, and yep. like you say, if business, as long as as long as your business didn't get in the way of the other guy's business, you were usually okay. And and wasn't the mob and, really big on? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is from TV. I know you see a lot of stuff that's fake on TV, but wasn't the mob really pretty when it came down to when it came down to your wife and your kids? Wasn't the mob they'd had a, even a, a, against? against rival mobs, didn't they have a pretty strong code amongst each other as far as your your wife and your kids and your immediate family?
1: Yeah, they didn't want to hurt the family. They didn't want to hurt any innocent bystanders. If they were going to, for example, Frank Frank Collado used to do car bombings on occasion. And one of the things they always looked at when they were going to uh, plant a bomb on somebody's car yeah. was, they didn't want it to go off where there was a good chance that there would be pedestrian traffic or that type of thing. So they would always do their stuff when there was almost zero or very, very minimal chance of somebody other than the target being hurt wow. and um, and not go after the family. And I, I want to tell you real quick, we, we started our new show last night called Mob Talk on, on Mob Talk Radio. And our our guests, uh, Andrew DiDonato and I, the former Gambino guy, were co-hosts. And our guest was Jack Garcia, who's a 26-year undercover FBI agent. And, uh, in fact, he's a New York Times bestseller, author of Making Jack Falcone, which was the name he used to infiltrate the Gambino family. And the title is based on the fact that he was so good at his role that they proposed him to become a made man and actually go through the mafia initiation. Uh, Wow. And the FBI didn't want to do that, they pulled the plug on the operation. Prior to that, but during our conversation, I was asking him about comparing the Mexican drug cartels that we hear so much about today versus sure. the Italian-American mafia. <laughs> and he said, the, "He said, look, he said, there's a couple of ways to look at this. He said one is, he said, the mob, the, the Italian-American mafia." Mm -hmm. Had this code, the code you were talking about, of trying to avoid the loss or injury to innocent bystanders and not going after the family. Now, you know, certain individuals were just kill crazy and violated that. But the code was that you don't do it. He said the Mexican drug cartels are totally, completely ruthless. They would kill 50 innocent people to get to the one they want. Life has no value. Yeah, and he says, you know, the other difference is. He says they are so big and so powerful and so rich, and of course w- wealth is power. So you can buy whatever you want. He said that um, he said if I was doing a he said if, if we were surveilling uh, a mobster in New York City, for example, and we lost that individual during the surveillance, something happened, we lost him. He said you could pick him up generally in a matter of an hour or so because you know that the Italian American mobster lived. You know, it was it was like a New York City guy, born right. in, in most cases born and raised in the city. He mm-hmm. said, and you knew they would be at their social club, whatever social club their particular family or crew hung out at. They okay. would be at their their parents' house. They were big family guys, you know. He says, or they'd be at their girlfriend's house. He says, and you could find them. You'd have four or five places to go, and you would almost yeah. always find them <laughs> within an hour or two at one of these locations. You knew they'd be at... <laughs> He said if a mexican drug drug runner yeah. suspects they're being surveilled, he said they're they're not from here they're they're from mexico they you know they come across the border. He said what they do he says they pack up their bags and they're gone the next day, and the cartel will send them either to you know another another country, another part of the world. He uh-huh. said, you can't pick them up an hour later or two hours later because right. you know they're going to be at the girlfriends or the he sure. said their bags are packed and they're they're gone. You've lost them. Yep. yep. So he said that's a big difference in the investigative piece of it. Sure. They're much tougher. And he said, of course, the uh, the violence end of it. He said, uh, yeah. you know, they they just have no regard whatsoever for human life. Right. Like you said, terrorism. Right. I think terrorists would yeah. fit.
0: Yeah, they're basically terrorists. I mean, that's what a lot of terror. That's what funded a lot of terrorism for the longest time is the drugs and the friggin' opiates and all this other stuff. And that, that's uh, you know, believe believe it or not, too, I read something about. Um, if you buy uh, if you buy these um, illegal CDs and movies and stuff, you're funding terrorism too. Down in even in Manhattan. Yep. Yeah, yeah it
1: did. I heard that. And you know, he told me another thing I wasn't aware of. He said, you know, he said these these cartels. He said, for example, he says, let's say Colum- the Colombians wanted to move some drugs and they, right. into the United States, and they knew the Mexicans, the Mexican cartel. Had the transportation system. I mean, no matter how good the drugs are, how much you can sell off on the street, you got to get them there. You got to get them in sure. to the to the uh, to the customer base. He said. So what they would do, he said, they would instead of paying the Mexican, instead of the Mexican saying, "Okay, give us you know X number of thousand dollars and we'll deliver your stuff for you," hmm. uh, what they would they wouldn't ask for a cash thing. What they would say is, "We want a part of the shipment." So right. You're paying us a cash payment, okay? You got X number of kilos of heroin. We we don't want you to to give us twenty thousand dollars, or I'm just throwing that figure, whatever. For yeah, it. we'll take. And he said some of those deals where it was they would get up to fifty percent of the shipment. Now they've got you know all these kilos and whatever the street value was at the time wherever they're taking them to. He says, and because there's such a tremendous profit in drugs. Mm-hmm he said the uh, the Colombians or Cubans or, or whoever was was initiating the thing, asking for the transportation, um, he said they found it worked good for them. They didn't have to make a cash payment. These guys, they gave them, you know, whatever percentage of the shipment to right. the Mexicans. He said they do what they want. They didn't have to worry about collecting money or paying money. They just cut it up, and uh, then the Mexicans are on their own with it. So, um well. I didn't, uh, and after listening to Jack to tell how these these things came out or came down, I said, you know, that makes sense from a Mexican standpoint. They could probably make a hell of a lot more money in the marketplace selling these things and taking a flat, uh, you know, a flat uh, cash payment for it. So, But, you know, just tremendous money. To He was giving yeah. us some figures of what this stuff sold for and what it would cost, <laughs> that it cost them to make it. To produce it, yeah, and he sure. said it's, it's just incredible. He said the average person can't comprehend the amount of money that's
0: <laughs> involved. Right. And it's like it's like we say, you know, even in the even in the dark, seamy underworld, there you can still fail if you're not a business person. <laughs> you got to know what the profit is. Of course, it's a lot harder to fail when your profit margin's a thousand percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you
1: have a little cushion there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little
0: cushion. Well, even in that world, you might not fail. It, it, you know, it might not fail for, from a financial perspective, but like you said, if you got too good, if you got too close to the ringleader, if you, if you, who the hell knows what? If you look at something the wrong way, um, you know, your career could be over pretty quick, and there's no golden parachute on the other side of that deal. Oh, Once you're done with that, retire- you don't care
1: if you're rot in the streets. <laughs> Retirement is permanent. Uh you know it is? it's it's not riding <laughs> off into the sunset. <laughs> like
0: like normally. Hey,
1: uh no. Rob, before we run out of time, can I mention two yeah. events that I got coming up? Yes, please do. We, we got been... about three
0: minutes and we're gonna talk about all your stuff right now. So please do, yeah. Oh,
1: okay. I got a couple of things um in October in in Syracuse. Well I've not right in Syracuse, Syracuse area. And um on October fifth at 7 p.m., I'm going to be at the Barnes and Noble store on Erie Boulevard East in Dewitt. It's uh, okay. three, four, five, four Erie Boulevard East in Dewitt. At 7 mm-hmm. p.m., it's going to be a question and answer and book signing. We're featuring "Surviving the Mob" the Andrew DiDonato story, but cool. uh, they're going to have my other books there as well, my other crime books, and. Um, but it's not going to be just a straight signing. We'll discuss organized crime like we like we just did here. Mm-hmm. And um, sure. and then the, and the signing also. And then the following morning, October 6th at 10 a.m., I'm going to be at the Baldwinsville Public Library, 33 mm-hmm. East Genesee Street in Baldwinsville. Cool. And I'm going to be doing a PowerPoint presentation called Las Vegas and the Mob. And it's, it tells the true story behind the movie Casino. Uh, wow, you know, cool. who the actors, what characters, yeah,
0: cool.
1: what their characters were being, the real people, and mm-hmm. and what came down, and, uh, you know, where the movie was a little more Hollywood than reality, and what the reality of that. Right. And the one thing I love, uh, love, one thing that uh, I always make sure I describe, and that is the casino movie, one of the most graphic scenes was the head and the vice, mm-hmm. where Joe Pesci's got he squeezes, uh, yeah. the vice until the guy's eye pops out. Well, that... <laughs> Uh, you know that that uh, that's quite a story behind that, and it's something that I,
0: really? the
1: Frank Collada was involved in that, so I got the street uh, scoop on that exactly really? down there.
0: Really? You got the uh, street scoop on the head and the vice deal. Oh my God!
1: Yeah, it was quite a <laughs> quite. A, not only from Frank who was involved in it, but also from the FBI agent, one of the FBI agents who was on the crime scene, and they told me that in the uh, in the movie they show for camera purposes they show the guy with his head up so, you know, you can see his facial expressions and all that as, as the vice is being turned. And in reality, he was in the vice head down, but, of course, that wasn't good for uh, filming uh, purposes. Yeah, right. But the eye did pop out. and um, Really? Gee. Yeah, it was, it was, and that was the first of two murders. There was another murder associated with that one. So, anyway, it was, it was quite an interesting story. And, like I say, the movie was great, and it... it uh, but they took, you know, and naturally certain liberties and certain Hollywood, uh, sure, um, things with it. So, if if anybody liked that movie and is doesn't have much going or anything pressing going on uh, the morning of the sixth, stop by Baldwinsville and uh, there's no admission all charge. All
0: right, cool. No admission, and I'm sure that's on a website. I'll put it. I'll post it on our website when I find it on yours as well. I'll post it all over the place. I'll put it on my Facebook page and. Um, I just put,
1: I put both of them on the Cyber Village site.
0: Oh, good. Okay, good. I'll take that, and I'll do some marketing for that for you, too. So we'll see if we can get a I few extra- it. I appreciate it. Not a problem. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, look, uh, if you want to see uh, one of the cool things, actually, I explained this before. It's, it's pretty cool. If you search CrimeWire, C-R-I-M-E, and then space in the word wire, W-I-R-E, that's uh, another one of Denny and, and four partners or three partners, I think, on that website. But another one of his ventures, you can find it there. And just uh, also, if you just Google Denny Griffin, you're gonna find all kinds of cool stuff. Um, cool for. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it, Denny. You're always a great guest, and we'll have you on again soon.
1: Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great Thank night. Thank you very much. You too. Thank you. Bye bye.